Welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories from the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. I'm Chad Ha. I'm Sebastian Good. I'm Phil Gambling. Hey, I'm Kareem Jamal. Today, we're discussing strategies and best practices for releasing new features and updates, and when it's better to do a lot of things all at once, or when maybe more of a slow drip approach is better. Let's get started. So starting off, I guess we should kind of define what kind of updates we're referring to, because there are lots of different ways you could take that note on like the kinds of things that you're implementing, the kind of updates you're putting out. So what, what are some of those kinds of things and how does that maybe affect the strategy that you're going to take? The first thing I'm thinking of putting my dev hat on is, you know, we're talking about uh, feature and bug fixes to existing software. When do we release that? But I know we were also probably talking about when do I have like more the broader product strategy of like rolling out like a redesign, right? Of like, of right. we're going to reskin this site completely. When do we like hit, you know, our users with that, even if it's ready to go? I think a lot of the, our experience at Xperia, we get brought in to do kind of modernization projects. Um, so then that is, is a bigger question of, okay, well, how much are we going to modernize? And how do we roll that out, you know, across likely a large complex product? Yeah, and I think you want to combine that with the kind of the commerciality of it, right? Why are you modernizing it? Why are you doing a new interface for a new persona? Why, I mean, obviously you have to fix bugs, but why Why in the order you're fixing them in? And so I think there's an, there's an overprint you need to have of understanding sort of what the, what the ultimate commercial objective uh, or usability objective is. That comes up a lot in modernization, right? Why am I bothering to, to fix this system? It's because I want to capture new customers, stop losing old customers, do, capture a kind of customer I couldn't capture before, right? And unless you understand that, you may have trouble understanding what, why you should release what, when. Well, and a key, a key part of that, I think, is communication, like communicating clearly with users. Hey, here's what we've changed. Here's why we've changed it. Here's how to use it now, at least with new features. But also like just with bugs too, I know that's a big part communicating to users. Hey, here's what we fixed. Here's those things that you told us were broken. Do you see anything else that we haven't fixed? Please tell us. Like communication is just a big part of that, I think, uh, and setting that expectation because it's one thing to change stuff in the background and make improvements. But if you're not clearly communicating what's changed and why, it can also create distrust right. or frustration. It's like the whole, like, well, why did you move my cheese? Like, right. you know, this button was always here and I liked it there. Now it's over here. You know, what's the yeah. justification for that? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine being the project manager for Excel? You know, back in 1983, oh, yeah. <laughs> I learned how to do this and I can't believe you changed it, right? I mean, that's, that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. It, it does. It's happened. I was recently on a, on a call with a customer that had used a version of a product for well over 20 years. Um, and it's like, okay, you know more about this product and have seen all the different transition um, over the years. Their point of view is very different from somebody that's, you know, Greenfield coming in new. And it's always enlightening whenever you get to have that communication and you get to have uh, the opportunity to, to talk to the customers and get their point of view on this, um, this type of effort in redesign. Uh, Something I think a lot about, which uh, I mean, Chad, you as a as a UX designer is always front of mind for you. I'm sure is you know what persona you're releasing to at Expiro. We focus mostly on products for experts, right? 
Xperio expert. It's very clever. Um, and those users are super invested. It's often very tight in their daily loop, you know, a, a tool we're building, right? They have to get a vaccine someplace on time or they're trading a large, you know, block of someone's pension fund, right? And very small changes can have a huge impact to them. And that would definitely change how I would communicate, train the pace of releases as compared to like, how does Sebastian use Google Docs? Like I use 10% of it. And if they move a button one day, I'll, I'll get over it, right? I'm not a professional right. author, for instance. That's where the critical you know, research happens, where you, you come up with a theory of, hey, we think this would be better. Uh, or maybe we've heard from a few key customers that this, this feature would be really critical. Um, and so then let's really, we got to validate that if we make that change, um, that it's actually going to improve, you know, add value. But anytime we make those changes, as I think you mentioned, we, we have to factor in like, what's the ripple effect um, to really large customers. You have documentation, you know, even within internally, but oftentimes your customers will have, you know, spent thousands of hours potentially training their users how to use a product. And exactly. it's, it's like, I've, I've designed things before where I've gone in and I've shown somebody like, Hey, don't you, don't you think this navigation is great? And it's like, yeah, Chad, that is amazing. Um, that is really, that's so much better. But um, is it that much better to where I can <laughs> go back and, and train the 10,000 people that I, you know, I spent thousands of dollars doing and like all this time, like I, are you sure it's going to be that much better for them? And that's, that's, that's an interesting position to be, like, be put in. In that case, like is all at once is just not possible. The customer cannot absorb that. And as much as like the product person wants to see, like, I love it. I want to see it out there, but yeah, the, the ripple effects are just not feasible, you know, so you'd yeah. have to slow drip. Or maybe it pushes you towards that. Like if I'm, if, if, yeah. if I'm pushing out a new way to enter a, a trade ticket to go in the finance market or how to track an airplane on an air traffic controller, something every day, super mission critical, I better not change that thing every month for a year. They're going to go nuts and they're going to stop using my system, lose confidence in their trades, their airplanes. If I really need to make all these changes to unlock some new behavior or fix some sort of bugs, I, I think I probably do need to batch it up and say, look, we're going to release this over Christmas time, right? We'll give you some time to train on it and not at a market critical time. And we're going to do all these things at once. Plus, you're also going to browbeat us into leaving the old version behind too. And we're just going to have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. There can be overlap there saying yeah. you can access the legacy version here and you can opt into the beta of the new version and familiarize yourself. You can always go back, give people a little bit of buffer, but yeah, yeah that also has its pros and cons. That's, that's really a critical users. point. No, well, thinking about the, the type of, of uh, like control, is this a, maybe it's a push or a pool of updates. Like you, are you pushing out, updates mm. that your users mm. have to take or is it something that they can opt into right that is a major factor i think in the strategy you take it comes to how you package yeah. it right you could say we're yeah. we're rewriting your trade ticket or we could say we're introducing a new trade ticket a whole new kind of thing or it's maybe it's not even called a trade ticket maybe it's trade ideas maybe it's trade modeling whatever it it's 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 a change but it's packaged as a completely new thing they're opting into and for expert yeah. users that don't have time, they'll probably not opt in until the final version is there. Um, oh, because yeah. they, they, they just don't want to keep relearning, right? They're, they have their mental model built in. And for expert users, especially, they go against the grain where instead of having things spaced out, they don't have time to discover. They want to cram everything in. 
And that's where, you know, user testing is even more important because there might be two critical buttons right next to each other, right? Administer <laughs> extra vaccine or no, don't do it, right? And they're, they're not even reading the text. They're like just going by clicking by muscle memory. And so launch you have to be very clear. Versus test the launch snoop button. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> or, or the, the AC button right, right next to the, the uh, fire. Button button, right in the, yeah, that's the one <laughs> in a jet. Well, I think it's, there's also an interesting element, Chad, you were talking about like with, oh, look, I've redesigned the navigation here. It's so much better. I think there's also a very real danger just to be aware of like, are you, yeah, are you chasing a trend or are you implementing actual improvements? Because, you know, every couple of years there's a new approach to things or there'll be a new visual style or, and, and those things often can be helpful for keeping a brand seeming like they're on top of things or like they're, you know, keeping up with stuff, keeping things modern, but you can also do that too far to where you're constantly changing things with every new trend to where it's just ultimately unhelpful and annoying for users. So there's a balance there too, with making sure people know the application is constantly being worked on and constantly getting better. That's great. That provides value, but not so much to where the majority of updates are just like, you know, constantly changing things. I mean, as a consumer, don't you hate that update, which is like, our team has been hard at work creating a whole (laughs) new look and feel. And like, I get it. Developers want to do something cool, but how does this actually help me? But you're exactly right. And we see this all the time with expert users where your app may have world beating whatever algorithms, AI, connectivity, whatever that makes it great. But if it looks like it was written in Visual Basic, new users will assume it does not. They will assume it is old and busted. Uh, It has to at least look relatively fresh. A, A great example I heard the other day was a lot of modern electronics like power adapters and toys and stuff are made with components that are so light. They actually include weights inside them so that they feel like mm-hmm. they have some half. They feel important an inch. Ah, this could mm-hmm. convert my power because you would just assume a half ounce thing is not adequate to convert your power. So you open up and find screws and weights in them. And it's like that perception is just as important as the function. That's absolutely That's right. They actually do that on phones too. Like they've, there's a trend to make phones lighter and lighter. And now they've started adding some more weight to it because you're paying so much for it. You want it to have some heft. So it feels like a premium device. It's like, yeah, this was worth the 800 or a thousand. So you're saying when we, uh, when we add shadows to our buttons, we're making the product seem better, more, more substantial and smart. I like it. I like it. More effort went into it. <laughs> true, right. True. It's, mar- it's marketing to an extent. It's a, yeah. yeah. Or market perception. But I suppose well, those, those UI trends kind of add to the conceptual weight of the updates since we're talking about frequency of updates. If I dump you a whole new look and feel, but I didn't actually fix the application at all, I may have used a lot of your attention budget for the year for something that maybe didn't help mm-hmm. in terms of functionality I'm trying, to, I'm trying to roll out. Yeah, like that could completely backfire in that. But this bug that's been killing me for a year, you didn't address that. So mm-hmm. you had time to like, you know, rebrand everything you know, that could really frustrate some users especially your long-term users well that that kind of brings back you know at the very beginning of the conversation we were talking about in the context of bugs and features but even those are completely different like the way you approach bug fixing is often going to be different and the way you w- would release those often if it's a, like a critical bug it's very different from introducing like a whole new feature so there are going to be slight differences there as well in terms of prioritization and how those things are communicated especially if you're getting a lot of people complaining about, you know, a, a specific bug that's making things difficult, that's going to get prioritized. Or if users are saying there's this one feature I've been wanting for years and years and years, and you still haven't put it out. 
So I don't know, there's, there's some nuance there as well with, you know, bug fixes and feature releases often go together, but there are also just releases that are just one or just the other, depending on how critical it is, right? Right, like you presumably are never slow dripping bug fixes. You know, those are just <laughs> regularly coming out. Unless, unless, you know, maybe it's some bug-like feature that has a lot of consequences that, well, if we change the way that works, you know, right. people are used to working around it. That will have implications. So even... Even bugs, I don't think, are completely straightforward. But I think most of the time, yeah, you want to release that as soon as you can. But of course, like, is that at the cost of there's all this feature development that mm -hmm. we also need to get to? And so we also can't hold all of that up. That still needs to come out. So, um, you know, if it's critical, I think, like you said, Johnny, like, yeah, critical bugs, you would not hold that up. But maybe those lesser issues uh they kind of get blended in and into the regular cadence of updates this is where we also need to engage with like what is the reality on the ground so we've been talking i think so far about if you had a perfectly responsive engineering team and a perfectly responsive design team and a perfectly functioning communications channel what are some of the trade-offs but i mean you know, as consultants, we're often brought in where companies have come up short or need additional help or are looking at a major change. And some of the things we see often are like, yeah, we'd love to release more often, but it actually takes us two months to QA, you know, this product. Like we don't have any choice but to bunch them up every two months. And so then we need to talk about, well, you know, how do we communicate or how do we do that? Or maybe we need to spend our effort less on wrestling with the epistemological, you know, vagaries of what we should or shouldn't be doing. We need to give their engineering team the capacity to make the choice in the first place. Like, can you get your QA cycle down to one week or one month for certain kinds of bugs? That's definitely the factors. This that reality of like, okay, yeah, how, how long would it take you to release this massive amount of effort? Um, and then balance that with the QA effort that goes along with it um, versus the risk that you're taking of putting out something that your customers don't necessarily love and you have to maybe roll back or make, make edits to. It really changes based on the kind of software you're building. Since, since we build software exactly. for experts, often our user base numbers in the hundreds, thousands, maybe 10,000s, because these are at maybe large companies, but very specific roles doing very complex things. That's just a different game than if I'm releasing Google Calendar to, you know, right. one and a half billion people. I can make a lot of choices about slow drip, fast drip, beta feed, right? A-B testing that aren't necessarily a smart thing, you know? Hey, air traffic controller, you may or may not <laughs> have the latest update, right? <laughs> yeah. Have fun today, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's, true. let's talk a little bit more about that, like just how the scope of the effort affects the strategy that you take like you were saying like it, how many users is this really going out to and what's their what's their expertise in it like that's going to affect whether you can do small things over time versus everything at once i think it's like like what we we're kind of alluding to is those google calendar is a good example so i presume that's a, a continuous delivery they can make changes you know down to the minute as needed so it's probably it's not really ever an all at once. Everything's a slow drip and everything's easier to roll back at this point. It's so mature and it's a, it's a product that would, it's a user base that can tolerate, you know, changes here and there, but right. The flight controller, uh, you can't just like roll things out on a daily basis. Like that, that has to have some um, scheduling. And I, I assume that does lend itself more to the all, all at once 
um, because it the kind of the things we've mentioned before, there's, uh, you know, documentation, QA, training that just has to happen. And that probably always has to happen together. The, the large things like Google Calendar actually have yet another dimension because they're releasing continuously, but they're not releasing to everyone at the same time either, right? It's so massive that they, they have to sort of phase their rollouts over like two weeks or a month, uh, you know, like OS updates and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then be prepared to roll those back too if like a group that they just released to is having lots of uh, issues. A factor here too might be um, how you how you flag the feature. So if you're putting out a feature, is it, is it something that you, again, allow additional levels of, of opting in? Um, and what is the kind of default behavior for the update? Oftentimes in projects I'm, I'm working on, you know, we might put out a feature and enable it by default, but we might say, you know, we're gonna put out a feature and allow the admins to know that they can go in and enable this feature and this capability and, and opt into it because they may not want this, this new amazing feature uh, to be available for all of their users quite yet. Uh, yeah, they may so want to yeah, kind of prompt their user base and say, hey, this is coming, kind of prepare them rather than just dropping it on them. Right, right. And then think about their, their full suite of tools that they would continue to use uh, or you know, have, have been using. If you, you add a new feature that's ideally competing with you know, another product, that customer base might be using the other product there might be plans to, to transition over, but they may not want that level of control and enterprise software. Those customers are putting out money that, um, you know, they kind of demand a certain level of control. And they, mm -hmm. they don't just want you to put stuff out there and be like, Hey, no, 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 no. We, we are paying for the control that uh, that's why we're paying this, this amount per user and per seat or whatever it is. Um, please don't just put something out there that we don't have control over. So, uh, I also think a little bit about, and, and maybe it's maybe it's sort of obvious um, that, that you have to consider this, but when you look at it at different levels, a developer or a UX designer, you know, may say, "Hey, I've developed this optimization." I'll go back to my, you know, financial instruments trading example. I've built this better way to enter a trading ticket. It's done. It's ready. It's tested. It should go out because there's a set of people that will like it. But what if that was basically built so that a new kind of trade or a new kind of price discovery could be done? And that kind of trade or price discovery or whatever can't happen until new sources of liquidity have been signed up to the market. There may be a whole sequence of things that happen commercially before that's really a value. And so now you're saying, you know, how big is this thing I need to put out? And if it's sufficiently large, you know, uh, from a commerciality perspective, it may need its own push and education and training, even if many of the little individual pieces are, are, are available uh, earlier. And it kind of goes against the grain of like continuous integration, continuous testing. Uh, it, it may be worth, it may be worth doing because of the commercial concerns. Yeah. Kind of as a follow-up to that, it almost makes me think about when you have a product that's ballooning because there's so many features you're packing in so many things you can do. When do you need to spin it off and say, this is actually its own thing now? Because that's a whole different way of approaching releasing updates, but it's also, I think, a valid option depending on the product and what you're trying to accomplish with it. We're we're looking at this with one of our clients right now. It, it, exactly, it's uh, part part of what's nice about it is it's a big platform that does three important integrated things together: trading, compliance, and and portfolio management, as an example. But each of them could conceivably be a standalone product, and it starts to make life a lot easier if you allow them to be that way, both for commercial reasons and for technical reasons. Um, 
So you can actually grant yourself sort of some freedom by doing that. I think that's exactly right. I think one other thing that we kind of discussed earlier, I think we could spend some more time talking about is it also kind of depends on like the perspective that you're coming at. Are you in development or are you in project management? Like what's what's the what's what kind of questions do you need to ask depending on the role you're in and your perspective on the project like that that pretty dramatically affects uh, things as well i think like the life cycle the what stage is the is this project in is this completely new new greenfield project and we're working on an mvp you know so that user base they will see everything all at once but the mm -hmm. stakeholders getting up to that point uh, may want you know, give me everything on a, we'll have a weekly demo and I want to see what you've got as we go. And it, it's kind of like, that is a slow drip maybe relative to that project, but in the scheme of things, it's a lot coming out in a short amount of time. Cause it, so depending on the project size and I think the type of user base like we've talked about before, you know, something completely new, there's obviously gonna be tolerance for all kinds of new stuff, but long, you know, XL 20, you know, decades of, history a lot less uh the user base is a lot less tolerant for that so i think that's the question i would be asking is yeah who am i releasing to and and how soon if i'm trying to sell something inside my business here's a better way to do things or find a new customer base the fact that there's new features every week could be actually a selling point even if in its steady state you know people don't want that state of change but oh wow this is really coming up. This is, they were listening to me. This is really exciting. I can see how quickly this is going to adapt to what I need. That could be a really important way of gaining expert user confidence. And actually on the other side, maybe you've lost confidence because you haven't updated the app in a long time, or you've just lost control of quality or something. Going back and saying, hey, I, even though I know this is mission critical and you don't normally want this to update every week, I've been listening. You know, this doesn't crash anymore. This is now faster. We added this feature can can be uh, a way of earning credibility, almost independent of what the actual feature is. It's about the relationship. Yeah, that's great. I, okay. And I've, I've heard that feedback directly to Ashley from customers saying in, in one of these redesigned projects recently where they said, you know, we you have a customer base that just has gotten used to this product feeling old like can you just how, how quickly can you do something visual and um you know that really gives that impression that you know changes are happening um you know mm -hmm. it, sometimes we, we think about the visual aspect of ux as kind of being the afterthought or maybe not as as important but in this case sometimes it is a, a visual you know change that the end user actually notices um there might they'll feel the performance improvements and everything that, that happens there. But, you know, a visual change is something that you, you can get reaction to as well. And there's a business strategy angle to it too, right? Because if you are sort of a new startup, uh, you may need to continuously move stuff around and change it up to, you know, keep it fresh so that the VCs are happy and the new users are happy and all the PR sites are talking about you like, hey, they're coming out with a new design, they're coming out with a new feature, right? Just to get your foot in the door and get your name out there. So there may, may be some of that driving it versus Excel who has sort of a standard base already of users. They don't need to do all that wow factor necessarily um, to you know, keep their users engaged. Uh, That's a good point because startups are also exploring product market fit, right? So you may be releasing new features, not necessarily because you have a spreadsheet like those guys at Excel do about just which subset of users are willing to pay which dollar for which, you know, extra formula. Um, 
you may not know, right? You're just throwing it out there to see what happens. To your point, Kareem, maybe it's for publicity, you know, on visual design. Uh, maybe it's to test a new set of users, in, in which case, yeah, waiting all at once is maybe problematic. The, 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 the gift you need is speed. And if things right. go well, that can fund the further exploration and other options. Yeah. But if you're waiting to just try to drop it all at once, someone else is going to either beat you to the punch or you're going to run out of money. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. It makes me think of a company Kareem and I talk about a lot. So we were like, wise, you know, they release things like low cost, uh, generally like home IOT type products like cameras. They'll release new stuff all the time. And usually it's like, not quite, it doesn't quite have everything I want or there's some bug, but they're also good about getting regular updates out that just kind of mm -hmm. keep us like, keep us hooked to like, oh, okay, I'll forgive them because this thing came out last month and it was, you know, it was a little flaky, but then they got that bug fixed. Like we're good. And, you know, I tolerated that, that degree of uh, like slowness to release like everything, but if they had waited till it was perfect, then yeah, someone would beat them to the punch. And that's kind of their strategy is like get things out there and just keep throwing stuff at the wall. Uh, while while you catch up with what you know, once you know what your users actually want, while it's out in the field, right? Well, they're very sensitive to your persona. You're more excited to have the latest thing in play exactly. and right. as to whether your lights actually will turn on or off, right? That's a persona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a common thing. Yeah, as as Phil said, I I just installed a Wise uh, floodlight over the weekend, and I installed it. It looks great, and there was a couple of things I just couldn't do, and I was like. Um, uh, and then I got over it a few hours <laughs> later and I'm sure they'll fix it eventually. Uh, and th that model works for them. Try, trying to connect this to one of my favorite stories about this topic is, is something I heard from Jared Spool years ago when eBay was almost in startup mode. Um, very early on, they were had a yellow as a very strong visual brand color in their UI. And um, they, you know, designers, product management, I'm sure said, hey, we need to move towards white, you know, product photography against a white background is, is more common, those kinds of things. You think of reasons why they would want to do it. And so they changed the background color from yellow to white and their user base freaked out. You know, my storefront that used to have yellow is no longer yellow. Now I'm not sure I'm in the same spot. Am I on the same website? Am I getting hacked? What happened? You know, um, all this type of freak out feedback. So then they pulled it back, reverted back to the yellow um, and they made a plan and said, all right, we release once a week. We're going to change the hex value on this yellow and we're going to lighten it. And over the course of a year, we're going to get to white and we'll see <laughs> wow. if uh, anybody notices. So they did it and they went from yellow to white and they slowly transitioned and nobody said anything um, about and noticed it because they just made a slower transition. So I've, I've had this story and I think about it often in terms of like, yeah, how are we pushing out updates? Are we just going to slowly do it? Is it something where we don't really want the UI to be the story? Um, mm. And, you know, can we, can we slowly make improvements? And does that naturally work with how teams operate? Um, let's do a little bit at a time, test it, get some feedback, make sure we didn't break anything. Good, low risk. Let's keep doing that. And then, you know, the, the potential to uh, do larger redesign efforts and go, well, we could make a bigger change, you know, all at once. Um, or do we kind of trickle it out and say, like, mm -hmm. we've come up with a plan for, you know, moving, moving a few things at once and not all of the cheese at once. Um, yeah. That's so, 
That's interesting because yeah. we talked earlier about the need for clearly communicating expectations with users. But yeah, there's a whole other case there when well, I, we don't want that to be like the story that users are latching on to, or we're not, we don't want them to necessarily notice that we're changing this. We want them to notice we're changing that, but that is a lot less noticeable than this. So how can you like frame the story as a whole other part of it? That's interesting. Yeah. In this case, you really moved the cheese uh, because it was yellow. So. <laughs> it was, it's, it was a yellow cheddar or sharp cheddar to uh, a white cheddar. Um, yeah. I think so. So I think that, one, one, <laughs> one of the important <laughs> things here is to try to figure out for your application what pieces of the UI or the app are sort of the user's comfort elements and what are sort of ancillary elements, right? So in this case, the background was a comfort element. When that changed, they freaked out because they didn't feel safe anymore. They thought they thought they got hacked or something, right? Similar example is uh, the iPhone home button, right? Uh, that was their comfort button for people where no matter where you are in the phone, you get lost, you can press that and you know it's always gonna take you to your safe place. Once they remove that with the, you know, the swipe up and stuff like that, that was a hard transition for users. Yeah, it's like the, the navigation is still the same, like the structure of the operating system is still the same, but the way that the user navigated or the interaction was, was changed so drastically that it's kind of like moving navigation and products from say a, a top navigation to a left navigation or something you know, just changing the layout completely the user has to reorient themselves as to where they are and what they're looking at and those kinds of changes are, are ones where we want to make sure that if we put in that effort and um, that we're doing something that's you know going to be usable and mm -hmm. useful yeah that brings up just like being mindful of what are the potential dangers if you if you don't choose the right option for how to best release updates like what could go wrong if you, you know, maybe should have done a slow drips gradual transition and said you dropped it all at once or vice versa? It depends on the, it depends on the software, right? Like everything mm -hmm. could go wrong. Like is this mission critical <laughs> safety, <laughs> like people's lives. Uh, what if be, Tesla like, just started releasing yeah. beta versions of self-driving? Are not redoing that? <laughs> I think you do opt into that, right? <laughs> I don't. I don't have a Tesla. Other sign, people seem to be opting into it, but driving on my road. Yeah, it's like, right. do you sign a waiver for that? Like, <laughs> if you if, if we drive you off this cliff, like, hey, you know, it's beta. <laughs> <laughs> it's beta, exactly. Yeah. I guess assuming it's not uh, that mission critical, but yeah, I mean, it's a good point. It obviously depends on the case. I just, I know the biggest danger usually is, oh, well, your users are going to up and leave. Like, yeah. they'll, they'll say, peace out. I'm done. I, I'm not dealing with this. You, know, you you move my yeah. cheese one too many times, but there I mean there yeah, are obviously or, other. Or they'll things. commit like what we see. Uh, indeed, maybe they're not uh, you know driving kids off a bridge or anything in this very extreme driving case. But you know, if my job is to uh, perform supply chain optimization or or trade on behalf of a retirement fund, you know, a lot of kinds of uh, things we do here at the company, um, I may not have a choice but to use your system. In fact, in a lot of cases, even if I get banned, it doesn't matter because I'm not choosing who, you know, which trading system I use, except in the very long run, you know, my, my opinion matters. But day to day, I, I have to use this thing that my bank has purchased for me. Well, the impact could be that I screw it up, right? Like I lose my job because I entered the wrong trade or, you know, we don't get the fertilizer to market on time. And it's ultimately, you know, my fault. And in big complex enterprise environments, it'd be, it'd, it'd be truly rare to say, well, because you use this one button, these kids, you know, didn't get their shots. It's usually a lot of things that happen, but it could be a real important 
effect if you're using the kind of software we build because it's for these expert users. And there, there may be other limitations too, just based on how often you can release. So uh, going back to the Google example, like Google, or let's take Gmail, who's coming out with a new sort of integrated UI, uh, or they've started rolling it out already, at least. Um, you know, if you've changed a little part of that, say you've changed a couple buttons or a sidebar with the new theme, uh, you still can't just roll that out. That can't be slow drift, right? You have to wait for the overall uh, mm. overhaul of that UI to be able to roll it out. So there's sort of granularity levels where you have to wait until you can even release that uh, as a cohesive unit. Or, you know, uh, another example, uh, we worked with a client where we were changing out the underlying uh, infrastructure and the graph database. And so we were going from like, you know, Datastacks Enterprise to, you know, Cassandra, which then affected uh, Elasticsearch and, you know, other things, other components as part of it. There was no way to just do a slow drip for that because it's such a massive overhaul of the underlying system that you had to have it living in a parallel branch uh, mm-hmm. and working on that, upgrading that until you can roll it back all at once uh, into the main uh, core. Um, that kind of goes things- back to choosing an approach that you can carry out. Which is, I guess, sounds silly when you say it uh, that way. But you know, if, if your plan is a slow drip over a year, and Chad, obviously, it's fairly easy to go change one color uh, over 52 weeks. Probably that was a very small technical change, but we could imagine it wasn't that simple. If your organization doesn't have the capacity to do that, you need to rule it out. And I think it can be very easy for that question of can we do this, you know, to not really be examined or answered correctly at the highest levels. I mean, hi- hypothetically. You know, if you were doing a home renovation and your whole like second floor was being ripped out, you know, you can just live there and have like slow drips. It's almost that you move out and then you move back in all at once, you know, just hypothetically. That's an example I use a lot. I tell people you can't put three bedrooms onto your house by working Sunday afternoons. You know, if you don't have the budget to make the big change that's required for commercial reasons, then you probably shouldn't start. You need to find a way to advocate for the larger budget through a proof of concept or a pilot or something, or you need to right size your ambition, you know, to, to what's there. To use the home analogy, uh, depending on the size of your of your project, you know, if I'm just repainting, uh, I can do that room by room, and you know, that's a slow drip process. I might be paint dripping on the floor, but you know, that's that's an acceptable risk. But uh, kind of like to Sebastian's point, if you're gonna add three bedrooms. Uh, and that has major implications to, you know, water's going to be turned off, power's going to be turned off, it won't be a roof for a while, things like that. Uh, you kind of have to do that all at once. So if you're, you know, to use the home example, that's when your users need to just get out and, and uh, work without their software, work with the legacy software for a while before they can uh, adopt the new change. Um, I, think, I think either way you need a plan, like what Sebastian was saying. You need a plan. And you don't you need die again. You, know you can't dive into it. And hopefully you're not, you know, to go back to the software rollout, hopefully you're not discovering at the end of your release that you chose poor, you know, you chose poorly, like that you, oh, we should have, like to use the color example, we should have done that in a slow release. They only learn that by trying to do it all at once up front and getting, and getting negative user feedback. Um, so ideally, you know, you'd have these conversations early in our project and you're not surprised by the results. And you're assessing as you're going too. It's not like a, we talked once at the beginning, hope it goes well. You're continuously 
whether it's a slow drip or all at once kind of thing, you're continuously checking in and making sure you're still on the right course. I think in most cases, you're going to find it's a combination of the two. For instance, yeah, I can't add two bedrooms to my house by hacking on it Sunday afternoons, but once the bedrooms are in place, I can probably choose new bed sheets and buy some nice chairs and bookcases on Sunday afternoons, right? Like it's, it's okay to kind of dribble some things uh, and not others. That's what you said early on, Johnny, talking about the importance of communication, communicating uh, amongst you know, the team and the customers and what the plan is. And, and just because you can't slow drip uh, to your external clients and users doesn't mean you still can't slow drip internally, right? So you could mm -hmm. still be testing those changes internally and committing and uh, you know deploying it to staging and demo environments without affecting your users at all. But that's something you should obviously uh, always be doing. Thanks for connecting with us today. If you have a complex software problem that needs solving, thoughts on what we discussed today, or ideas on what topics we should tackle next, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at experioinc.com or on Twitter at experioinc. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you next time. Today's episode is not sponsored by Wise, but we'll reach out to them for a sponsorship. That's a wise move. Yes.